You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network. Hosted by Blake Murphy 7, all about your Arizona Cardinals. Hello and welcome into the Revenge of the Birds podcast. This is uh, episode 161, I believe. My name is Blake Murphy. You are co-host of the Revenge of the Birds pod, and I'm joined by uh, our site manager, Seth Cox, this week. Cardinals are coming off of a bye. This is going to be perhaps the first time we've seen Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins in uh, at least a month, it feels like, if not more. Um, Seth also is the co-host of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast and the original Draft Breakdown podcast for those of you who are college football and NFL draft lovers. Um, Seth, the Cardinals go into their bye as the number one team in the NFC and come out of their bye, the number one team of the NFC. Seems they're in a pretty good position for this year as they enter the final stretch. And as they're entering the final stretch, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, just getting ready for the final six games of the regular season and, and, you know, getting ready to enjoy um, some family time and time off from work and real life. But, uh, you know, other than that, just excited for the Cardinals to finish things up. Absolutely. Um, When entering this season, I know at the start of the year made predictions on the Revenge of the Birds podcast a little bit lower. I think um, looking back on it now, I had the 2020 cards as a 10-win team or a playoff bound, and 2021, maybe the ending soured things a bit. Uh, You and Jess on your Rise Up Sea Red podcast were a bit higher of seeing this as a playoff team that had Super Bowl potential. I do want to say, so far through the season at 9-2, is this more of an area where the Cardinals are exceeding everyone's expectations? Is this more meeting your expectations? It's hard to argue that the Cardinals are not living up to your expectations unless you're saying that you're looking at the schedule saying they should be 11-0 at this point. Right, and you look at it, and I think this is obviously uh, exceeding any expectation that anybody had. But one of the things that you you look at with this team – this season is they're really the only consistent team, right? Mm. I think that's one of the few things that we've seen. And so to me, that is the, the most exceeding of expectations in that this team win healthy, win, win intact. So, you know, those first eight games, they were yeah seven and one, they lost to the Packers, you know, everybody kind of freaked out about it, but the reality was they were, the best team in the NFL and that's on every side of the ball. I mean, they were the only really consistent team that hadn't laid an egg. Now, obviously they came out and laid an egg against the Carolina Panthers. So they got into that as well. But when you just look at it overall, this is a team that can beat you in a number of ways that can play a number of styles of football. And that is what makes them dangerous is that they're not a team that you can, kind of pigeonhole and be like, oh, well, this is the only way they win games. Now, obviously, we know their weakness, and that's stopping the run, but you have to be able to get a lead on them, right, to run the football, and and just most teams can't do that. So when you look at it, you know, this is clearly a team that's exceeded expectations on the season, um, and, and they're going to continue to do so because while we all thought they were a potential playoff team um, – or a playoff team, we didn't see them as, you know, maybe the most consistent team in the NFL. And so that's why I think more than anything, they're exceeding our expectations. 
Absolutely. Uh, with those raised expectations, um, we're also seeing now Cliff Kingsbury get some more attention. Uh, he's just been in a fascinating career arc. You can see where it seems like he gets hired after being fired at Texas Tech. You can see some potential for an offensive turnaround in Arizona. And now that he's got the Cardinals in not just a specific place at 9-2, and two, but you see infrastructure beneath him where they can win games without him coaching because of a great game plan against the Browns. They can win games with Colt McCoy at quarterback and not just games, but divisional games and not just divisional games, but a blowout on the road in a divisional game. It's attracted the attention of several schools, including that of Oklahoma, which as as odd as it seems, that was one of the biggest things of Cardinals news that came out of the bye was, oh, hey, Cliff Kingsbury is being potentially recruited by Oklahoma. And I think the first thought that came to mind for a lot of Cardinals fans was, well, he doesn't want to go back and recruit. He's not going to want to really leave this great spot in the NFL that he's at. Why does it seem like it's going to Oklahoma? And I think that most people have kind of settled on the idea that, all right, maybe this is simply looking at contract negotiations as the business. I wondered if it's maybe a bit of timing in addition to the money of, hey, Cliff is 9-2, and two, strike while the iron is hot. We saw how the Cardinals, you know, faltered a little bit down the stretch last year. How much of that do you think is the case as far as realistically Cliff Kingsbury saying, you know what, you're making a, what the Godfather reference of making an offer you just can't refuse to go back to college football? Yeah, and I think that's what it comes down to is that, you know, I think Cliff and, you know, you and I have talked about it off the air. I think Cliff prefers the NFL from a coaching standpoint, from a pure coaching standpoint, you just look at it. He's a guy that would prefer to be able to call plays, deal with adults, treat, treat guys like adults and not have to do, you know, the rigmarole of, of college football, meaning the recruiting, the, you know, uh, the babying, the booster schmoozing. And then there's the, you know, the, the stuff that we don't talk about, <laughs> about college football and, and it's just going to be a little less of an issue now with, with the, you know, NLIs um, eligible and things like that. But I mean, Cliff was, that was just never Cliff's bag. I mean, he's a, at the end of the day, he's a football guy and, and that's what he wants to do. So I think, you know, the original part of this is simply it was just a timing thing of his, it, it fell where a number of, uh, blue blood colleges opened up at the same time, mm, right? Yeah. Like you had USC, you had Florida, you had um, obviously then Oklahoma and then LSU and like all of these, these like prestige programs that can throw around ungodly amounts of money. All of a sudden they had coaching openings. I mean, we're not talking, and, and this isn't a shot, but we're not talking ASU. We're not talking U of A. We're not talking Colorado or Washington State. I mean, hell, we're not even talking like Ole Miss and Mississippi State. We're talking premier programs opening up. And and Eric Burkhardt, you know, Cliff's agent, was smart. And he, he probably leaked that, yeah, I talked to Oklahoma. Or, yeah, you know, Oklahoma called the agent to say, hey, is this something he'd be interested in doing? And he's going to share that with, with Adam Schefter and, and those guys. So this gets out and, you know, it puts the pressure on the Cardinals. Now, you know, the ball's in the Cardinals court. Are you really going to let him even interview? I mean, this goes back to 
cardinal lore of you know kurt warner getting on the plane going to san francisco right like this is this is that same type of idea behind it and so you know do, do the cardinals throw the money at him do they throw the five-year you know extension buyout is his team option year you know or option it and then give him a five-year extension basically giving him six more years of guaranteed money or is it a real deal where oklahoma has said hey eric you know the to the agent of cliff like hey 110 million over 10 years and and you know like you said that's an offer that who can refuse $110 million guaranteed money? I mean, that's right. It's completely different. It's completely different than, than the NFL where in the NFL 10 year contracts aren't real things. I mean, the only 10 year contract we've seen was John Gruden and, you know, they, in my conspiracy theory brain is they, they had some emails leaked to make sure that they could fire him with cause <laughs> and not have to pay that thing out. Right now they're like, oh, we're off the hook. We don't have to worry about it. But that's another conversation. But like those long-term contracts just don't exist in the NFL. So that's, I mean, to me, that's the only concern about this whole thing is that these top tier colleges are throwing around money. Like it's not real. I mean, and to be fair to them, it's not right. It's just monopoly money. But, um, you know, that's the only thing that concerns me for the most part, though, I feel pretty confident in the fact that this is Eric Burkhart doing his best to make sure his client gets a five, you know, a nice fat five-year extension um, after year three. And, and, you know, to, to that, I think you and I would agree and say, yeah, probably, probably well-deserved. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the areas that will be very interesting is, you know, we talked about the coaching level and, when it comes to the elite coaches in the NFL, it ends up being about that $10 million a year range. And that's one of the cases that you know goes to the Pete Carrolls, goes to obviously the Bill Belichicks, probably goes to maybe one of the Sean McVeighs. And um, especially I could see at least the contract extension that was given to Kyle Shanahan that will probably keep him in San Francisco, even if they did continue to have a down year. Uh, they've managed to turn it around with getting guys healthy. Is Cliff going to be one of those people who could potentially – you know, you talk about athletes trying to, you know, levy different areas or using the transfer portal to try to be a certain form of leverage as far as for their own skills. Is this a spot where we could end up seeing Cliff approach that $10 million a year range? And what would be maybe an estimate if you had to guess for, for the Cardinals to get this thing done? What may be kind of a contract that would look like, whether it's in the middle of or at the end of the 2021 season? You know, just looking at with the um, the reality of the new TV deals and, and the bump in money, and that's going to go, you know, not just to players. And, and coaches' salaries don't count near towards the salary cap, but it is going to create this need or this vacuum where coaches are going to start getting paid more. Um, allegedly, you know, and, and – there's no way there's no hard numbers anywhere that you can get with this stuff. But I read the other day that like urban Meyer got uh, six years and around between, you know, 10 and 12 million a year. So just call it 11 for easy math. So 66 million over six years. Um, the rumor or the alleged number bill Belichick makes is 
20 million a year. Uh, Pete Carroll's around 12. Uh, Sean, Mc, or Sean Payton is around 11 to 12. So you look at it, I would assume Cliff's going to get somewhere in the realm of 550 to 560. Um, that's what I would assume happens. And basically what's going to happen is he's going to end up getting like six and it'll be like 60 and, and it'll really be, you know, five for 50, 55 right. over five. And, the, and then his five and a half that he's owed for that team option year, um, just tacked on, like I said, picked up. And those things are, are what are going to happen. Yeah, I think that seems realistic that it is going to be a pay raise. He did also come in at probably maybe not quite 32nd, like lowest paid coach in the NFL. But there's a lot of times where I see rookie contracts, guy plays for what may have been less money and then outperforms that. They sometimes want to have a little bit enough of a pay raise to maybe not make up for a lost amount of dollars, but to being able to at least have that type of trust and dependency going forth. So we've talked a bit about Cliff with everything. Uh, gun to your head, if you had to pick whether Cliff stays or leaves, I think we would say that it would really end up being like this side deal offer. Notre Dame you know, offers some stupid amount of money that we're not hearing about, and he suddenly picks up and leaves. It doesn't seem like that's the case, but what would you say would be the percentage if you had to guess out of, say, 100% for staying versus leaving? I would say it's 75 25 and the only reason it would be 25 is like you said if, if one of those offers comes in and it seems like Notre Dame's hiring um their defense coordinator I can't remember his first name but it's yeah. Freeman is the last Marcus, Marcus Freeman. Freeman and so there it seems like they're just going to promote him so that leaves only Oklahoma now the longer the Oklahoma job stays open obviously the more concern that is going to begin to creep in for Arizona Cardinals and their fans. But um, I like, unless it's, unless it's Mel Tucker plus money. So Mel Tucker's the Michigan state head coach. He just signed for 95 million over 10 years. And you might say, well, nine and a half million. That's not, you know, as much as 11 million. If the Cardinals give them 55 for five, yeah, but it's $40 million more guaranteed. Right. Like that's the thing with coaching. That's, that's just guaranteed money. They're not players. The only thing that he could get fired for or lose that money for is if he is fired, you know, with cause, which means typically arrested, uh, something like what happened with John Gruden, you know, those situations. Uh, and and I'm assuming Cliff isn't going to have any of those issues. So, you know, it's really hard it's really hard as an uh, as a person to be to turn down a 10 year just call it 100 million dollar plus contract offer right i mean nobody in a sane mind is going to do that yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's talk with Kyler Murray being the other big news that's coming out of the bye week. Uh, expectations seem to be that he is going to play. He's still been limited in practice thus far. Kingsbury, of course, being the, uh, you know, I guess you could say, uh, I don't know if it's silent or something, but just he likes to be able to keep business behind closed doors. You know, he likes to kind of saying um, sealed lips don't spill secrets. He's been pretty much quiet on whether Murray will go or not so far this week. Um, it seems, though, that it made a lot of sense for them to 
protect and kind of keep him healthy enough through the buys about maybe closer to a six week injury. It's going to be about six weeks or so. And expectations are you're probably going to be getting DeAndre Hopkins back too from that hamstring injury. So I think the question that we have is since the Cardinals now are in now at the number one seed by a half game coming out of this bye week, is this going to be a spot that we can at least talk about? Kyler putting himself back into some of either the MVP race? Is this a spot where, you know, this is the first time Kyler's actually missed time in his career for the most part? It feels like it's a little bit of a weird season in the NFL. And like you said, the only teams that really have been consistent uh, outside of the Patriots being a defensive and juggernaut as always has been the Cardinals offensively and defensively. Is this going to be an extra boost that we see that maybe ends up getting a bit more national attention to put Murray as that featured MVP guy? You know, it's going to be interesting because I think, and you know, I'm not to get crazy on, on your show, so I don't want anything <laughs> to happen, but I think there's, there's going to be a little bit of a resentment backlash towards voting for Aaron Rodgers, who's probably the MVP this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of, you know, things not, happening on the football field let's just leave it at that um so that takes us to the next you know group and you've got you've got faltering josh allen you've got you know faltering lamar jackson you've got you know all these guys that that are maybe leading the league uh or leading teams vying for the first position in the nfl that are just not playing extraordinarily well yeah and then you've got the greatest player of all time just hanging out in tampa just having another good season i mean the numbers aren't eye-popping they're not you know they're not what was what was that season 20 2008 level yeah you know 50 greatness <laughs> yeah 50 touchdowns or something like that was just ridiculous yeah, but i mean he you know he's got 30 touchdowns and only nine interceptions so you know 30 touchdowns in in 11 games so he's on pace for right around 50 touchdowns you know just under 50 touchdowns in 17 games this year uh probably going to end up right around 45 i would guess um on pace for 5,000 yards and, and, you know, probably going to set a career high in interceptions this year. Uh, but again, you're talking about a, uh, a 17 game season. So it's not, it's not like he's, you know, playing terrible by any means. Um, and I just feel like he's probably going to end up being the MVP this year. Uh, just, just because they're going to be one of the top three teams in the NFC. Um, they're going to have these numbers uh, all over. You know, he's going to have all, all the statistical numbers. You know, he's going to finish first or second in in passing yards, first or second in touchdowns. All of that is going to happen. And so I, I just feel like he's probably going to throw the craziest thing he's probably going to throw for 5,000 yards for only the second time in his career. (laughs) Uh, And so all of that you look at and you go, yeah, it's probably going to be Tom Brady. And, and so for that reason, I think you're going to see him as the MVP this year. Um, I think Aaron Rodgers probably deserves it the most, but um, he, you know, he's got to deal with the things he did 
<laughs> off the field that have have the uh, voters, you know, upset. And and that's what I'm that's how I'm going to look at it. Right. And yeah, that is one of the areas of the NFL has changed somewhere. It's no longer the best player on the best team. But like you said, when it comes to this year with how inconsistent a lot of the main players have been in the league with Kyler missing time, Brady does make a lot of sense considering that. And some of that, I think at least my my whole thing is you watch that team play and maybe there's a little bit of Rodgers this year, too. The Packers tried to throw a third touchdown to Randall Cobb rather than run the ball from the one-yard line against Arizona. There's probably a little bit of quarterback ego in there where you're seeing Tom boost his stats a bit. Or maybe it's not, maybe, uh, not to say it's not realistic, but you know, if you can throw a screen pass for a touchdown versus run the ball for a touchdown, that's just going to make you look better if you're an older quarterback. So I think that's... well. It- they're also, I mean, they're also doing the thing where they, you know, sometimes are not exactly uh, taking their foot off the gas. I right. Mean, you, you look at a couple of these games he's got, uh, Miami, or sorry, Atlanta, you know, he had 48-25, he threw five touchdowns. Uh, Miami, 45-17, he threw five touchdowns. Uh, Chicago 38 to three, he threw four touchdowns. Yeah. Those, those aren't games where a guy to your point needs to throw. I mean, he, he throws two touchdowns and, you know, hands off for three. It, it, you still get the same outcome, but the difference is like you said, they get, they get close and he's throwing screens. He's throwing fades. He's throwing, you know, check downs and, and, taking advantage of it. And, and again, there's nothing wrong with that. That's actually today's NFL more than anything else. Right. But um, I do think it skews those numbers just a just a touch. Yeah. And I would agree with that. We've seen Colt McCoy take over for mop up duty for Kyler this year. I, I don't remember Blaine Gabbert doing anything more than just keeping his, his hat on, or maybe there's one kneel down or so that you had in the game, but yeah, it's definitely trying to establish that legacy there for Brady. So Uh, With Kyler coming back, this is the first time, obviously, that he has missed a significant amount of time. There's been times he's been banged up before. They played through some of that in 2020, uh, up until that Rams game where everyone knows at least how that game turned out with coming back a little too little too late. And 2019, we saw Brett Hundley essentially come into the game for a second half. But with this injury being a bit longer and with a lot of the questions about Kyler Murray being, you know, not just durability at his size, but, you know, he did take this as an injury in which he was kind of running the football and what seemed to be his own read was tripped up from behind. How much concern should there be at least as far as with a quarterback who, and this is kind of going way, way back as far as, um, when we were talking about previous comparisons to a Cliff Kingsbury quarterback in Johnny Manziel back in like the 2014 draft of, you know, he'll be lightning in a bottle, but because of the size, maybe there's going to be at times he gets banged up, loses some of that effectiveness, um, in part because of the running. I think we've seen enough Kyler passing this year and not having to use his legs to assuage some of those fears, but is this an area for concern to be able to watch for Cardinals fans, especially given the fact that, you know, 
we're going to be talking about not just Cliff getting a pay raise, but if Kyler Murray's camp comes with that same agent, Eric Burkhart, looking for, you know, 10 million a year for Cliff and looking for 40 million a year for Kyler. Uh, what kind of confidence can Cardinals fans have with him being able to, you know, whether it's the team managing him or him being able to manage himself well to stay healthy? You know, I think it's one of those things that um, it, it's going to come as he as he ages and understands the game. Uh, you know, the I think the difference this year is it was one of those things where if if this was the playoffs, if this was an end of the season thing, he's he's probably playing. Um, but you know, we talked about it on the on the podcast. Justin and I have talked about it, and you you watch him or you watch them this year with Colt, they're, they're much more confident with Colt McCoy than, um, than having Chris Strebler yeah. and even having Brett Hundley. Mm-hmm. So um, you look at it and I think this is a, this is a guy that is going to probably have to learn to, to play through some things. Uh, but as he progresses as a quarterback, I think he's also going to learn how to uh, protect himself when he is nicked up. And that's one of the things that is really hard for young guys is learning how to, to protect your body, take care of your body when you are nicked up and, and, and hurting a little bit. And so those are the things I think when you, when you look at, uh, Kyler that he, he needs to improve on right now more than anything else. And, and that's, you know, if that's all you're complaining is, is right. It's like, Hey, you got to get better at protecting yourself. Um, and, and then playing through pain every once in a while, those are good things to have. Um, I think it's just going to come with time. I mean, this is a dude that you got to remember when it comes to a guy like Kyler Murray, he's only 24. Um, when he was playing at, you know, in high school and then in college, he was always the most athletic guy on the field. And now he's learning that while he is a freak athlete to the point that, you know, few others are when they're on the field, he also has to, he also has to navigate it a little differently and, and treat it a little differently. And so, you know, with Kyler, I think, I think it's just going to, continue to be a maturation process um you know and i go back and i always look through things and and you know you look at like a a tom brady you know who's obviously the gold standard um in, in football he doesn't miss games and and that's you know i think the problem becomes that's what everybody expects right they're like oh well you know tom brady only missed you know 15 games in his career or whatever it is but you look at you look at other guys. I mean, you got Aaron Rodgers, who you know missed um, nine games in 2017, who missed seven games in 2013. You know, who who's missed a game this year and, and struggling with injuries this year, and and I think that's where people get a little lost is that it you know it's going to be about him being able to manage his pain and be able to play through the pain um, and that'll come with time. And then it'll be about avoiding the, the big injuries. And so those are the, going to be the biggest things for, for Kyler as he, you know, 
matures and goes forward as a as a player because um you know he's he's getting close to being you know one of the real special players in the nfl yeah absolutely like this season alone we've seen kyler being able to be um, the tops in a lot of different categories, whether it's against the Blitz, one area that he had struggled with last year, one area of being in the intermediate passing game. Uh, but I think we've also seen in a lot of regards that it's not simply him carrying the team versus this is a really complete Cardinals team in a lot of different ways. Like it's, it's an offense that's not just an all-built passing attack or rushing that has him using his legs. They're getting a lot of guys with yards after catch. They're seeing at least the Cardinals have, I think, a top 10 passing and top 10 rushing unit. Um, so that can be credit not just to Cliff Kingsbury, but to, you know, the offensive line, the job they're doing, um, and a good job IDing, you know, a back such as James Conner and finally getting something out of Eno Benjamin. I think a lot of this stuff, at least, is maybe more of the undersung defensive unit and some of the turnovers are being forced it's almost kind of in a lot of ways i think you're almost being able to say that yeah tom brady's probably the mvp in part because you look at how the bucks are performing with having maybe the worst <laughs> i don't want to say maybe the worst of all but having an absolutely dreadful pass coverage unit and the bucks are still essentially like right in it for the most part they dropped two games in a row which is a bit of a surprise but yeah like you said Comparing guys to the ultimate outlier for a lot of different ways for performance over the season versus just looking at Kyler doing his part on a really good Cardinals team, it's almost kind of muted the fact that he's putting up some kind of crazy numbers as far as with, you know, the deep completions, those people who look at things like EPA or PFF grades, you know, things of those different nature. Part of the question at least a lot of people had coming into this year was if Kyler Murray would take that next step. What is it in particular you've seen so far as to why he has? Because I think a huge portion of it has just been he's finally got talent around him, but what have been the reasons in particular why he seems like he's kind of taking that next step to be one of those you know top quarterbacks to build around? You know, I think a lot of it has just come with with playing. I mean, one of the the best things any player can do is play with and get experience and and Kyler, you know, was exposed to a lot from his rookie year, from Jump Street, right? Like, he was the guy as soon as he was drafted. And so people look at things and they see, again, outliers. They see guys that, you know, have had success right away and, and you know, they want to compare. And so when you look at all of that, you you – compared to you know historical quarterbacks and so the most recent one obviously was was Mahomes right like drafted in 2017 didn't play at all comes out in 2018 and has one of the greatest single season quarterback seasons of all time um and so people go well you know Kyler you know it's that old meme of the guy holding the stick poking and be like do something <laughs> it's like it's like well well wait like one, the Chiefs were, I believe, a uh, a playoff team yep. when when um, Pat started. So you know, 2017, the year he was there, they they were eliminated in the wild card round. They lost 21 to 22 to the Tennessee Titans. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not really that bad, right? And then the next year they go 
and they you know they add a little bit but for the most part it was just being able to put in a quarterback that was able to do just a little bit more you know and then they lose in the conference championship game to new england and <laughs> that offsides you know, call that they had of the one player with d ford that was just kind of uh not quite right. not quite history changing but you look at the history of tom brady and how the patriots just you know it just seems like the ball bounces their way a little bit more often than not and that was one of those examples and it was good to see the chiefs kind of establish themselves as you know, maybe not quite the Chicago Bulls of football, but at least the Mahomes, Kelsey, and Hill connection has been, you know, only been upset this year by some crazy weird turnovers and uh, a defense that does, seems to love playing Daniel Sorensen a lot and probably plays him a little bit more than they should. Yeah, and so then you look at it and, you know, the expectations are, well, you got to do that. You got to be Deshaun Watson, right? The guy that carries a, a moribund uh, Houston Texans franchise into into relevancy and, and, you know, everybody wants, wants Kyler to be somebody else and be on the same track at the same time as these other guys. And, and you look at it and you go, well, that's just, I mean, that's just not how it works. I mean, and you look at, and the best way I can say it is look at the numbers at the same age. Mm. And, and you look at this year, like, so Kyler's numbers this year, he's on pace to have a better, age 24 season than Deshaun Watson by quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, you know, again, that's saying something. Um, he's on pace, you know, when you look at like a Mahomes age 24 season, that was obviously, again, a little bit different. He was a guy that came in um, and, it, you know, it, Mahomes age 24 season was actually going to be, probably lesser than what Kyler's age 24 season, but then he had that age 23 season that again was, you know, otherworldly. Yeah. But you just look at, you look at the numbers and people go, people want guys to be on, uh, on somebody else's track. And it's like, no, you know, you gotta, you gotta wait for the growth. And we've seen it in other players from outside of the Cardinals. You know, you look at like a, a Josh Allen in Buffalo, like, Josh Allen was significantly worse his first two years than, than Kyler was. And Kyler's having a, you know, a similar third season to what Allen had as a third season. And, and so you look at it from that perspective and you go, okay, so Kyler should, you, you know, you should look at it and go, okay, Kyler's on the right track. Instead, people go, well, why isn't he, you know, why isn't he in the same breath as Aaron Rodgers? So it's like, well, man, like you look at Aaron Rodgers, you look at Tom Brady, you're talking about two of probably the six or seven greatest quarterbacks that ever stepped on an NFL field. Yeah. Like, like you've got to, you've got to have some grace overall and, and understand that, you know what, that might not be Kyler Kyler and, and it could be, I'm not saying it won't be, I'm not saying it, it will be, uh, but you know, Kyler could only end up being, you know, a top 20 quarterback of all time. Oh, oh gosh, <laughs> that would be awful, right? Like, oh, so he's not one of the five greatest quarterbacks ever, but he put, but he just happened to play in an era where two of the greatest quarterbacks ever play, you know, we're, we're playing at a high level at age 37 and age 44. Like, and so that's the thing that people have to look at is like, 
judge Kyler for Kyler's work based on historical precedents and not be like, oh, well, why isn't he Tom Brady? Well, you know, every team wishes they had Tom Brady because then every team would have six or seven Super Bowls in their in their kitty. And and oh wait, that's as much as the greatest franchise ever, the the Pittsburgh Steelers have in their history. Um you know, and and Brady's got that as one individual player. Yeah, like, yeah, it's 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 pretty crazy what Rodgers and Brady are able to do for the most part. I I like the spot, and this is kind of maybe a little bit of draft talk at least. Is now you have your crossover pod. We talk a lot about breakout age being a huge indicator as far as like easy example is. Hey, take a look at the Bosa brothers. Nick Bosa as a freshman was making plays like. Joey Bosa was, you know, as a freshman through a senior year, and it makes it a lot easier to be able to project and see kind of that tier. And I think we've seen a little bit more of that with guys like Lamar at 24, Dak Prescott at 24, um, even with guys like Deshaun Watson, who's not in the league right now. Uh, just kind of putting them into that different stratosphere of being able to see them get it sooner seems to be something that's solid. And I think that's probably something that as Cardinals fans, you know, you're you're not used to seeing a young quarterback be able to go up who has taken a team. Like you, you mentioned the Chiefs being a playoff team the year before. You talk about Josh Allen. Bills, they were also a playoff team that traded up. Texans, team that traded up. Even the Rams and Eagles were both 7-9 and nine the year that they added Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. So there's not really that many examples that you even see of guys who – Start off with a no, team going from, from one to being able to be straight to not just the playoffs, but like to a Super Bowl caliber type of team. Right. And not just that, but I mean, I think the thing that gets lost more than anything else when it comes to what Cliff and Kyler inherited was just how bad that offense was. I mean, it was literally one of the worst offenses that the NFL has seen in the last 40 seasons. And and now you're talking about, as you said earlier, a top ten offense running and throwing the ball. Like, come yeah. on. Like that that's that's Kyler, that's Cliff, that's the, the two of them together. And that goes back to our early conversation of like why Eric Burkhart is putting that pressure <laughs> on the Cardinals right now, because you go, Hey, three years, not even, you know, not even three full years. Look where Cliff and Kyler have gotten you. It's time to open up the checkbook. Yeah. Uh, that's one of the areas also of we'll see what goes on for the time frame since if the Cardinals do end up being able to, like, you know, they're never good to put out hypotheticals. I think it's easier to go week to week. But let's say that Eric Burkhart comes back and the Cardinals manage to, you know, match Patrick Mahomes a bit where maybe they don't end up um, – seeing him be quite that level of contract but if they are able to get a ring in kyler's third season which that's you know that's the goal that's kind of the dream this is one of the few years that you can see this team as the opportunity to do it in part because of the chaos around the nfl where there's really just like five you know good teams and you know if that fifth team may have switched from the rams to the niners like it's one of those weird seasons that you have being able to look at that as far as for that level moving forward to that type of legacy, how do we see with the rest of the NFC shaping up where the Cardinals can have their best shot at being able to achieve that goal? We've seen how on Thanksgiving the Dallas Cowboys lost to the Las Vegas Raiders, a team that has been, for one way or another, acting scrappy despite losing, it seems like, about a player a week, either to some sort of off-field drama, and that not, not to mention saying John Gruden himself being gone from the team, so you're losing 
probably one of the better play callers in the NFL. Um, is this a spot where when you can see where they're positioned in the division, there are a few games ahead of the Rams. You could probably put them away with, you know, a win and a Rams loss, whether that comes, you know, this week or more likely next week, at least when you play them. Seeing how the Packers have been able to kind of establish themselves, the Bucks are still obviously playing. Is getting Kyler and Hopkins back going to be something that can at least put Arizona over the top? And what is it kind of that we should expect for this team? Is it too much to say that this could be a you know fourteen and three type of team, and what we should be expecting is the number one seed? And, and that's obviously crazy to talk about to have those level of expectations, but it seems like that's kind of where we've built thus far. Yeah, and you look at it and you say, you know, what are the expectations and, and where should they be right now? And and I think a lot of it comes down to they should be at a, you know, they're at a point where they can afford one loss. And, and you might say, well, one loss, that puts them equal to Green Bay. And it's like, well, I don't think anybody is expecting Green Bay to go undefeated and if, the rest of the way. And if, if Green Bay ends up at, you know, 14 and three, you tip your cap, right? Like, Great job. The Cardinals end up 14 and three. You tip your cap and you say, Hey, you guys, you know, beat us head to head. That's, that's where this is. Um, <clears throat> so for that reason, I think that they end up uh, being, you know, I think that I look at it in this sense. I think they're going to be four and one going into the Seattle game. And depending on what has happened with green Bay I think that they can go five and one, and I think that they can go four and two because if the game against uh, Green Bay, or sorry, if if Green Bay is now at uh, you know out of it or can't take over their first place in the last week of the season, there's really no reason uh, for for the Cardinals to really you know put anything into it. Uh, you know, you you take it as a preseason game. Give Kyler a, a quarter, give Colt a quarter, and then it's Trace McSorley's debut as an Arizona Cardinal. Um, now, if if that last game is you go in tied and you just you you know you got to win, or uh, or you're just a game up and and you know you have to win because the Packers are playing the Lions, that's a different thing. But I think I think I expect them to be four and one going into that final game, and that'll be kind of how it ends up yeah the it's interesting to look at for each of these games because the Packers outside of after that blowout that they had suffered earlier in the season they've participated in a few blowouts of their own they also have had a lot more close games that the Cardinals have had that 24-21 against the Cardinals you think of Arizona turns the ball over three times the last one counted but they just weren't able to really put that team away they've done a good job but it seemed like it definitely was an issue where vikings beat them by the last second field goal and then you talk about them being barely able to beat the 49ers back when the niners were not really that healthy as far as for the team goes it's interesting to see kind of what their upcoming schedule now that they've essentially gone and taken care of business against the rams you know you've got one of the tougher schedules in the nfl that you'll have they're obviously not playing this week they get the bears (laughs) coming up the ravens browns and then they get the vikings again i think at least for if they manage to go four and one over that stretch then the Cardinals game means something. It almost feels like that would be like a huge prop for Green Bay, considering that at some point, you know, these close games, I think back to the 2015 Cardinals, that 
managed to win a lot of these close games. And then you look at the NFC Championship game and see how the Panthers had just been, you know, stomping everyone else that it came their way. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that you know what, that kind of makes some sense there. Right, and that's what it is. And, and you look at it and, you know, like you said, Green Bay is on a bye this week. So the Cardinals need to take care of business on this and um, of things. And they need to go into the final five games and look at look at it as hey the final five games we have one game and that's and that's how you have to look at it and that's how you have to treat it and then you have to you know go and take care of business they you know like you said you've got you've got Chicago you should be able to take care of business this week against Chicago then you've got um, the LA Rams on Monday Night Football that's a big game yeah. Um, that's a that's a game that the Rams may be desperate for because it could be to the point where the Rams are playing for their division life at that point. And and who I mean who would have thought that the Cardinals could all but all but wrap up the division in week 14, right? right? <laughs> and so and so that's a big or sorry it'd be week 13. Yeah, my bad. But yeah, and so that's a big game. And then, you know, you, again, you go back and you're, okay, now you got Detroit. And that's, you know, it's, it's, it's a big game because I, as I said to Jess last night on our podcast, the difference in, in a game like Dallas, let's say Dallas is a good team. They're the number four seed in the NFC. They're, they're a team that should be competing for the NFC championship. Um, The difference between that game and Chicago and Detroit is that you should beat Chicago and Detroit. And if you're a good team, you beat the teams you should beat, and then you compete against the teams that you're, let's just say equal with. I I think the Cardinals are better, but you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go out and just say that, Oh, they should be able to beat anybody, but you know, a, a road game against a top four team in the NFC, that's a tough game. And so if you, you know, if you lose that game, it shouldn't be a huge deal because you should have taken care of business against the Bears and the Lions. And then if you take care of business at home, something that they've struggled with this year, you know, you go into that that Bears game or that, excuse me, that that Cowboys game and you should be 4-0. and And so that's, that's kind of how I look at it. And so, um, you know, those games against – Indy, LA, and and Dallas are those are compete games. Like you need to show that you're for real. But those games against Chicago and Detroit, those are games you have to win because you're supposed to be a contender. Right. I think back to that Patriots game last year where the Cardinals essentially you could argue that that came down to the season by losing that game in which they completely dominated the defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, you missed some kicks, didn't get quite there to put them away. You had a fourth down, uh, fourth down stand at the end of the game versus kicking the field goal. That was a big swing, at least with everything, how the season goes. Taking care of business against bad teams is probably something, at least, that we expect the Cardinals to do. Uh, and I think that does tie into what we're talking about here uh, with the Chicago Bears, because when you talk about some of the, and I, I want to at least kind of maybe the comparison of if the Cardinals had been in a spot where you're talking about bringing back a guy in Steve Wilkes or bringing back, you know, the, the Mike McCoy type offense, 
that's the kind of performance we've been seeing from the Bears this season, especially in the passing game. The Cardinals, at least for perspective, you know, we talked their top 10 passing, top 10 rushing. Bears have been a solid rushing team. They actually outrushed the Cardinals. They're eighth in the NFL. Uh, they've been rushing for about, I want to say, about 100 and... Uh, what is it, like about 180? That's a little bit too high for that. I'm checking my notes here. They're top eight in rushing, but they are 32nd in their passing attack this year. It is the worst passing attack so far in the NFL. They're coming off a win against, you know, the winless Detroit Lions. A last like, second win, by the way. It yeah, last like- second win. <laughs> With their backup quarterback, no less, Andy Dalton, who... You know, for all that you'll say about Dalton, you've kind of seen, at least, and this is Cardinals fans remembering from a year ago, this is kind of who he is now. When he's on teams that are just not great, that are beat up, he's just not the most effective quarterback like where he used to be. He's not like talking Colt McCoy on the Cardinals. The only difference between him and Fields is Fields gives a bigger athleticism type of push, but it's one of those spots where it doesn't really feel like that the Cardinals... Um, should be losing this game. What I think is most interesting, Seth, is you take a look at the lines that the NFL are seeing, and it's only at about, it started off the week at seven points for the Cardinals, so a one-touchdown favorite, and it's only moved up to about seven and a half. And that's one of the areas that, you know, sometimes you wonder, does Vegas know something? Maybe there's expectations about the outdoor conditions. It's curious that the Cardinals and a team that on the road has beaten every single team by double digits, including with Colt McCoy on the road, is not heavily favored in this game. They're only a one touchdown favorite. That's very interesting. Yeah, but I think a lot of it is it's it's a combination of the unknown still for Kyler. There's an there's the unknown of who's starting for Chicago, and then there's the weather factor. It's supposed to you know there's a fifty percent chance it's going to rain. If it's cold and rainy, it's hard to predict a, an offensive explosion for any team, uh, let alone one that maybe getting their franchise quarterback back for the first time in in five weeks uh that hasn't played you know in a game in five weeks and it's cold it's rainy it's wet um you know and so those are those are the i think the the mitigating factors to the line itself um you look at it this is a game where whether it's dalton or fields and whether it's Murray or McCoy, the Cardinals are the superior team. Any, any way you slice it, this is a this is a team or this is a game where the Cardinals should come out and kind of assert their dominance early, and then coast to a win. And, and the worst thing you can do in a game like this, in a condition like this, is let let a team hang around, right, and let a team feel like they belong. And the Cardinals haven't done that this year with bad teams. Now I know people will say, well, the Carolina game, well. Is Carolina bad, or are they a really good defense in a in a you know hit and miss offense? And I I, I would think that's the way to describe Carolina, uh, and and we see the difference that team for of that team when Christian McCaffrey's in the lineup versus not in the lineup. Um, you know, you look at it, the the Cardinals have played two teams similar to the Bears this year, um, the the Texans, and then. The, the other one's escaping me right now off the top. Uh, Jaguars, I think, yeah, is the other one. The Jaguars. Yeah. And in both those games, they let them hang around for one to two quarters. And then they kind of boat raced them, you know, the final two to three quarters. I I think I think coming out of a bye, knowing that this team has struggled out of the bye week under Cliff Kingsbury, knowing that this team wants to kind of set the tone 
for the second half of the season. I'd expect whether it's Kyler, whether it's Colt, that that you're going to come out and see a dominant performance from the Arizona Cardinals on Sunday, no matter who the Bears are putting under center. Yeah, I think that's an easy thing to be able to expect. A lot of times the stats that I like to look at as far as the main one for trying to predict team performance is performance over time and especially how that looks with points per game because you know you can talk about yards you can talk about rushing at the end of the day it is a score but (laughs) you know you got to score points to win the game and stop them from scoring points and what's curious is the cardinals are one of the top teams as far as for scoring offenses they're putting up about 28 points a game defensively they're only giving up about 18 so it's like all right on average they win by 10 points we've seen that on the road this year we've even seen that in home games the bears are putting up about 16 points a game and they're giving up about 23. So on average, they're losing by a touchdown. Now, for for the sake of comparison for how bad that may be in context, the 2018 Cardinals with Steve Wilkes are putting up 14 points a game and then letting up like 30. So that was an all-time losing by two touchdowns area. So like you talk about, this is a spot where unless the Bears can basically come out with this Carolina game plan, score a couple of these rushing touchdowns early and be able to run the ball And you see Arizona just kind of trip over itself on a cold and snowy day being a desert team. It really feels like this is a spot where, like you said, the car expectation that is built this season is should be for a dominant performance. And I think it's really curious if you're the Bears, is there an avenue where, you know, come back in on Sunday next week wondering how the Cardinals managed to lose that game? What would you say it would be if that was going to be the place? Yeah, I would say that David Montgomery and Khalil Herbert just probably combined for over 200 yards rushing in the game and that it was a sloppy game it probably is a game where either kyler came out and and wasn't ready to come back and he shouldn't have or that colt came out and they got behind early and he they tried to ask him to do too much if those those things happen then you know then teams can take advantage of what is a porous run defense um you know, we talked about it a little bit. This team, and, and I don't mean this in a in a way that's, that's saying this is who they're going to be for the foreseeable future, but this team is very similar to those Peyton Manning Indianapolis Colts teams, right? That when they, when they play from ahead, they're unbeatable um, or, or nearly unbeatable. It's when they're behind, when they, you know, their offense isn't delegating the the tempo of the game. All of that is what makes, you know, what causes them to have issues. And so I think, um, I think for that reason, you know, that's where they could lose. I just don't expect it. Yeah, I don't expect it either. I think that you're looking at a Bears team without Khalil Mack. They've been banged up offensively and defensively. You're in a spot where if you end up having to throw if you're the Bears and you are the 32nd ranked passing team, that's one of the avenues where if you get behind in this game at all, you're never. You're, there's no way you can possibly be able to catch up. I have this as a score uh, of being 24 to nine Cardinals. Depending on the weather conditions, I'm kind of docking at a touchdown in part just because maybe they end up, you know, oh we get up early enough for that they're not going to beat us. We can maybe pull Kyler and hop off a bit early. It wouldn't shock me though if you end up seeing the Bears have to throw it a bunch and whether it's Dalton, whether it's Fields, if it ends up being closer to maybe a 34 to nine type of area, like kind of what you would almost expect the Cardinals to do to a bad team on the road. I just think, like you said, the weather factor seems like it's something that will be uh, a bit different. What is your take on predictions for the score as we head out for today? Yeah, I think the Cardinals are going to carry this one. I think they're going to get up, like you said, 20, 
21 to uh, probably three or six, and then uh, they're going to coast to a 27-13 victory. 27-13 victory for that one in the end. Let's hope that's going to be the case. Hey, Seth, thanks again for joining so much. Make sure that you are plugging uh, all the places as far as content. Obviously, Plug Revenge of the Birds is pretty much all the content <laughs> as far as you're the guy who does all of the heavy lifting on that site, so major props to all of that. But if you want to plug anything else you guys have with, I know your Patreon especially is something for those who are much more of the draft mix uh, among who listen to this podcast. Yeah, if you, uh, if you want to get some great draft content, it's unique, it's different. Um, I would say it's even a little, uh, it, it usually is a little ahead of, of the other, other guys. Um, you know, you, you can follow along on the original draft breakdown podcast. Uh, we do have a Patreon, $2 a month. So not expensive at all. I promise, uh, $2 a month. And, and that gets you all the bonus episodes. And then for $4 a month, Justin writes a couple articles a week that looks at, at, uh, prospects. So, you know, that's where you can find that. And then uh, another great Cardinals podcast, obviously, is the original, or sorry, the Rise Up Sea Red podcast with uh, Jess Root of, of Cardswire and myself. Uh, the longest running independent Cardinals podcast you'll ever find because, I mean, who's done over 350 episodes on the Arizona Cardinals if you're not paid by the Arizona Cardinals, let's be honest. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, not me. I know there's plenty that are at least are out there as far as content, but just some of the uh, work that you guys have done for a number of years, just excellent to see. Always want to make sure that people are following up with that as we follow this team. Thanks again for tuning in, everyone. Make sure you follow the show at ROTB Pod on Twitter for our show site. Uh, be able to make sure you follow everything else on Revenge of the Birds. And for my Twitter account, you can follow at BlakeMurphy7. And I think, as I said last week, if you have any complaints, at least about this or the content, it's at, at SCOXFB is where you'll send the different complaints so that Seth can, you know, send them on to someone else, at least is how we joked about on this show before. Exactly. If you uh, write to that Twitter account, uh, you'll get a response with between now and never. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks again for joining so much, Seth, at least. Cardinals are coming out of a bye week. We'll see if they can come away with a win against the Bears. This has been the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Take care, everyone. We'll see you on the other side. Thanks for having me.